Hey guys, sit on California Haunts Radio. It's going to be Civil War Ghosts with my guest, Courtney McAvale. Be right back. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Happy Monday, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you all had a great weekend. I did. It was fun, fun, a quiet weekend, but really fun, really fun. I am so excited about this show tonight. By the way, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up in Dallas State, and that means that if you have a paranormal need, we can get to you fairly easily. The only issue is what a lot of people don't realize is that California is this huge state. You know, a lot of people think of us like Hawaii with beaches and all that, and we have that. But the problem is, going inland, you've not only got that, you've got desert, high desert, low desert, mountains, a lot of rural farming areas, things like that. A lot of hilly areas, wood, you know, a lot of woods. So even though we have people stationed in, in positions throughout the state, it may take us one or two days. In that case, what we do is we have mediums on staff who could phone you and talk to you about what may or may not be going on in your place. And if it is, if, if, it, if it is a paranormal thing, in most cases, they can settle the energy down until we get out there, but we will get out there. Like it may take us one or two days. All right. That being said, if you're watching from Facebook today and a lot of you are, please be sure to hit that follow button. If you haven't done so already. Also, what, what I'd like to ask you to do is if you like what you hear, hit those thumbs up, those happy faces and those, I still haven't got this down for these heart things. Okay. I see everybody doing these heart. <laughs> My hands don't want to do it. Just show us some love, okay? Uh, come on into the chat room, do some chatting. Because what that does is it puts us higher in Facebook's FYP. The computer sees us, and it moves us out to a lot more people. And that being said, also, if you have people in the house with you, or maybe in your car you've got your headphones on or something, and you're listening in a car, backseat, your mom and dad are driving, you still have time, right? Um, share the show if you like it. If, you know, if you like it, share it. Share, share it with anybody you can share it with. Get the word out about the show. Same thing goes for YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, we've got more than 900 videos, all of this show. I'm a journalist, photojournalist, so I like to, you know, I like to trade it up a little bit. So you're going to get ghost stories. You're going to get cryptid stories, medium nasty maths, you know, and, and, and regular news stories. You know, I talk about the, 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 the drug epidemics. I talk about all that stuff. So, you know, you can take a look. And the easy way to find these topics is because even I get boggled when I go over there. The easy way to find the topics is I have started to put stuff in folders. So you can go folder by folder. If you like me, Nancy Matz, check out her folder, cryptids, et cetera, et cetera. And the same rule goes. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please do so already. And show me some love. Show me some smiley faces, some thumbs up, and all that good stuff. And join us in the chat room. That's what it says back there. Come join the conversation. Because we're trying to get the word out. And I'm really excited to announce today that we have two more days. We have till Wednesday for the month to end. And I am going to hit on our RSS feed. And that is, um, you know, we've been doing this for four years. I've been plugging and plugging. And that is iHeartRadio. That's Apple. That's, that's Apple Radio. All that stuff. We're about to hit 12,000 downloads. And we're going to hit that overnight. So I am so excited about that. We had a major jump from like 3,000 downloads a month up to 12,000 this month. So I am stoked, really stoked. Okay, back on topic. My guest today, Courtney McInvale, I hope I said her name right because you know you guys know how I am. It's going to be talking Civil War ghosts. Now, when you think of California, you don't think about the Civil War out here. But during my, my ghost hunting investigations in these big hotels out in our gold country, we had some Civil War battles out here. I had a client uh, who owns a bed and breakfast that we have gone to a few times. And she has a creek that runs behind her, her house, you know, the, the, the establishment. And there's like this big berm wall to divide her from her neighbor's house. Well, when it rains, the dirt and stuff comes down off this berm wall, kind of like hydraulic mining, only natural hydraulic mining, right? And then after the rain, she goes out there and she's got uh, a collection museum cabinet in, the, in her lower bathroom 
of Civil War stuff that has that has come down out of this berm. So it's really interesting. Just like the Murphy's Hotel that we go to frequently, the upstairs part of the Murphy's Hotel, the Mark Twain Ballroom, that served as sleeping quarters for for um, so for the army during the Civil War. So there is some Civil War stuff out here. But what my guest is talking about, that's where it's at. That's one of my, you know, you know paranormal investigators always have a goal of places they want to go. One of those lists. My goal is to get back to Georgia and Gettysburg and all these different places to, to check out the Civil War sites. I'm just really, really interested in all that. So I'm just so excited to have Courtney on. So I'm going to shut up now, bring Courtney on, and we can get this show on the road. Here we go. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk Civil War with you. Absolutely. So tell me about you. Sure. So I grew up here on the East Coast. I'm from Connecticut, but my father's from Georgia. So I was raised by a Yankee and a rebel, I guess, right? So it makes sense that I would research this topic. Um, I grew up in a house that had a lot of haunted activity. Uh, when I was 15 years old, the famed Warren family came to investigate my home. So wow. I, was, I, was, I was interested in the paranormal after that, right? Quite curious. And then... Um, I did take a break from it, though, because I lived in a small town and I didn't know what people would think. And so I pretended that I didn't grow up in a haunted house and I went to college and worked for the government and tried to live like a normal life, which was not for me. I studied history and I fell in love with that and continued to have paranormal experiences. So in 2013, I quit my government job and started a ghost tour company and writing ghost books and just deep diving into history. Awesome. See, that's what I love. I love that, that's that's one of the things I love about doing this as a ghost hunter and this show because I get to learn history from people. I'm, I'm a history buff. Yes, and I yes. Love, I love doing the research part of the investigations and going through and seeing what took place there. You know, it's the, the best part. It's the best part of it. Like the Murphy's Hotel. If you ever get a chance to go out to California, you got to stay at the Murphy's Hotel. They have an old section of their hotel, and when you go upstairs, look at the names on the doors because the majority of those people were on the Titanic. Oh, that's amazing. I've stayed there, yeah. You'll see those wow. names. Wow, and that's incredible. General, at the time, General Grant has his own place where he's staying. They have an old... He's right office. there behind me. I'm pointing at him. There he is. <laughs> oh, he's got a room dedicated to him from where he stayed at one point. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So it's exciting. Yes, yes. So how does one get into looking for Civil War ghosts? Yeah, that's a really good question. So it's a mix of things. My father was a big Civil War buff. And so he would, and my bedtime stories were stories of Civil War history. And I, you know, had to re memorize like generals' faces when I was a little girl and things like that. So I, it was kind of ingrained in me. I learned how to play chess on a Civil War chess board. Like, it's just kind of how I was raised. But in addition to that, as I started getting, you know, really in-depth into my research of the paranormal, I find myself gravitating toward times of war. And one of the publishers I was working with had me write about the American Revolution, which I absolutely loved writing about. But of course, that sort of brought up in me you know, what I had learned when I was little and the fascination with battlefields. And the Civil War itself is just so profound in how it's affected our country to this day. Uh, the sheer number of people that were involved, uh, millions of them, you know, we're talking over 3 million people are fighting when the country only has 31 million, 31 million people living in it and 640,000 casualties in four years. These are things that, you know, get your attention as someone who researches death and the afterlife and, you know, just history in general. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was so much emotion involved because it was cousins fighting cousins, brothers fighting brothers with this thing. Yeah, and, and people don't realize that. There were several split states that really went right through around the Mason-Dixon area and as we get into the Midwest. And if you visit Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, which I always suggest people do, this is like the furthest north that, you know, this battle between the north and south comes. There's monuments to each state, but the Maryland monument are two brothers holding the opposing flags coming at each other. And it's to show how common 
that story really is during this war. Um, I mean, even the generals on opposing sides, a lot of them went to West Point together or other military academies. A lot of them served in the U.S. Army together. They were in the Mexican-American War together, and they had these bonds and these friendships, and then they still were foe uh, during the Civil War. So it's really fascinating human interactions here. Oh, it is. And what's it feel like? I mean, I've, I've been like, oh, here we have a lot of um, places where there, there have been battles with the Native Americans and stuff, you know, the, 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 those sort of monuments. What's what's it feel like when you're actually on one of those battlefields? It it feels almost like a step back in time or like time has stopped there. It's as if when you're standing there, you can feel them around you. You can hear them calling in the distance. You can hear gunfire. And, you know, sometimes you can even capture this on camera or audio, which makes me think that because these events were so enormous and the energy mm -hmm. they exerted, that maybe like a little rip in time is forever opened at these places. And that's why we continue to feel like it's so raw, even though it's, you know, 160, 170 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it hard to find uh, the information on on, on these, on, you know, for, like for your book? You've got those two those two books out, and is it hard to do that research and find that information because you think that the records would be burned down and stuff? <laughs> so yeah, it depends. Georgia, in particular, had its difficulties because Union General William Sherman, uh, toward the you know end of the war, he goes and he burns down. Um, you know, and Sherman's march to the sea, he has a scorched earth policy and he burns miles and miles of territory in Georgia. So a lot of records are destroyed, especially about Georgia men. But what is really great about the Civil War is that a lot of these men did keep journals and all the newspapers of that time have been archived. So we get to really see what these people were reporting at the time, what they felt, read accounts from them. And so even though there may be buildings and things that are hard to access, a lot of firsthand accounts were passed down or recorded in the modern media of the time. So this, this just intrigues me. And uh, what, what fields have, have you had a chance to visit? So I have visited, of course, Gettysburg, Antietam, Chancellorsville, Spotsylvania, Wilderness, uh, which is all kind of in that Northern Virginia, Maryland area, you know, Gettysburg being right up there in Pennsylvania. And then there's, of course, Fredericksburg and Manassas that are there as well, which I have visited. Um, I have visited Murfreesboro, Tennessee, um, and I have visited lots of smaller battlefields, but the most notable one in Georgia is, of course, Chickamauga, which was second only in casualties to Gettysburg. There's also Lookout Mountain in Tennessee uh, that I've spent time at. And then in Georgia, there's also Pickett's Mill, uh, New Hope church, Kennesaw Mountain, um, and these are just, you know, a sampling, but I've spent time at all of them. Fascinating. And what's it like, I mean, I, have you got EVPs at these places or anything like that? Because I had a friend that went to Gettysburg and actually got the sound of drums. Yes, me too, oh. me too. Um, so I, you know, I've gotten a few EVPs as well as personal experiences. The very first and I think best EVP that I ever got on a battlefield was at Antietam. And uh, it was when I had just started researching the war and I was writing about a general from Connecticut named General Mansfield. And I knew he had been shot there. And I asked him from which direction he was shot from because I think it was debated. And a uh, male voice said, from your left. And I thought, you know, that sounds notable, like the wooded line. I, I mm -hmm. saved this audio. I, I, it was, you know, I assumed this was an intelligent response to me. And then I went to the general's house, which still exists um, not far from where I live in Connecticut. And it's a museum kind of historical society now. They let me review the letters that were sent home to his wife wow. after he died. And in those letters, the soldiers wrote that the last thing he said was, they're from your left. He was trying to tell his men where the enemy was. Uh, so I got chills when I discovered that. You know, that's one of my favorite EVPs, I think. I've ever captured on a battlefield. Absolutely. Now, when you talk about personal experiences, can you share some of those? 
Sure. So when I'm on the battlefield, I've had moments where, you know, I'm walking in particular by the wheat field area and I feel like a tug on my pant leg or I feel um, down by Pickett's Charge on what's called Cemetery Ridge at Gettysburg. I've felt a tapping on my shoulder. I've heard footsteps behind me at these moments, like these very physical sensations um, as if, you know, I'm stepping again back in time somehow and we almost like notice each other. A lot of the things that really happen when I'm there is our sounds. I hear cannons, gunfire, drumming. The first time, you know, I heard drumming, I, it was so loud. Like I feel dumb saying this, but it was so loud that I thought there were reenactors in the middle of the field. And I've been to Gettysburg, I've experienced hauntings, but I just, you know, it was so loud that even me paranormal person i'm like oh wow what are they doing out here so i walk out it's a thunderstorm i don't know why my brain didn't go who's reenacting in a thunderstorm mm -hmm. but i walk out into the middle of a wheat field and there's nobody there and the drumming's starting to dissipate and i frantically try to capture it but it stops when i put on my you know voice memos so i was you know oh i was so disappointed but i just you know i i continued to stay i walked around put my audio on and i was like if you know can you play those drums again if you can hear me and uh they didn't respond naturally but then about an hour later the drums started again you know and i had my phone still on i recorded it and of course i wanted to find out the rhyme or reason as to you know why the drums were at certain times mm -hmm. the I found out that on the wheat field where I stood, the march into battle had occurred at about the hour that I got there. The end of that part of the battle occurred when the second drumming happened. And it was an intro march into battle and of course an exit more death march after battle. That was the second time if we listened to the drums. So it was more, again, a proof of this time slip or whatever you want to call it right. that happens at battlefields. Very interesting. We, you know, when we talk about drumming, and this happened to me um, in Marysville. I'm here. I, I had a case involving a family, and you know, it wasn't a very nice ghost. But they were. But the family members were Native American, and mm. we were doing a session in their garage, which is where a lot of the activity was happening. And I remember hearing the wind come up, and you, mm -hmm. you literally hear it. Whoosh, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. and the wind. You could hear the drums. Yeah, we hear the drums. I remember yeah. looking at Trish, and I said, "You hear that?" She goes, "Yes, yeah, the ancestors." But we yeah. never caught anything on EVP or nothing. But you, you could visibly hear. There was no wind that day. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally, wow. I totally get that. I, 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 when I was first traveling, you know, you could feel it everywhere. It's when we were in Petersburg. That's another one I visited, mm -hmm. uh, Petersburg, Virginia. My husband and I and. It was during COVID, like, so for whatever reason, in the beginning of the COVID panic, I thought this would be a great time to travel and visit Civil War battlefields, you know, like that seems the safest thing. The museums weren't open, but, you know, I could walk the paths and read the signs, right? right and right. so we took a little road trip. We were the only living people on this road trip or on these battlefields. So it was great, you know, I, sometimes I miss it, honestly. I miss, like, the solitary way to like encounter these battlefields mm -hmm. but we were walking around petersburg and we were walking the path you know where one of the biggest parts of the siege had taken place and i could hear someone walking behind us even though we were the only people there and of course every time i would turn around it would kind of stop but you just knew that it was just you and the spirits mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they were watching us maybe as we were looking for them who's absolutely have you ever seen an apparition out there in any of these fields at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have. That's, you know, I always feel like I can kind of, when I'm experiencing them, see them in my mind's eye. But that's mm -hmm. different, right? What I think... Um, one of the scariest almost apparitions that i saw and it and i hate to say scary because i i like to think of the soldiers just as people i'm trying to speak to but i think it surprised me um and so maybe it spooked me a little and it wasn't i'm not gonna blame him for it but we were at the battlefield again this was during like sort of the COVID era and it was also when the battlefields were open till 10 p.m at night and you wouldn't get in trouble sort of 
know, putzing about out there, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was out by the Eternal Flame at Gettysburg, and I was looking at an area known as Iverson's Pits, which was one of the first ghost stories recorded of the time. Mm -hmm. And the general from Georgia, I would go on to write about him. I didn't know I would yet. Mm -hmm. And while I was standing there looking toward where he had made sort of this deadly call, I saw a man coming from his direction, and he had dark hair and dark eyes, and, you know, he looked frightened, uh, but he looked as if he saw me. I got a little spooked because he had such a serious expression and he was so vivid to me, despite it being dark. And my husband was not like close with me. He was on the other side of this area. So I have my EVP on and I start calling. I'm like, Marty, Marty, please. Like, I'm scared, you know, and uh, but I'm too scared to yell. And I see this figure coming at me. Finally, my husband hears me and he's like, let's just go and we get in the car. But out of my peripheral vision, I can still see this man in oh. uniform with the dark hair. And we get into the car and it was one of those cars that like it was a rental car, but it like indicates when someone's next to or like when something's next to it, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, as we're driving off, I could still see that man on the, my side of the vehicle and the indicator light starts going off, like indicating that something is there and we're going to hit it. Of course, my husband doesn't see it. There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. I didn't really talk for a little bit after that because I really had to process how vivid this apparition was. Um, that being said, I went on two years after seeing that man uh, on the battlefield to really get in depth into my Georgia work. And I started writing about General Iverson. And I thought, I wonder what he looked like. Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. And I looked up General Iverson, and that is exactly who I saw, uh, that face. Like, I was like, I know that face, that dark hair, that like, I know that face. I saw that face. Uh, so that was pretty unique. I think it was General Iverson. That's awesome. Um, you know, when you go out to these fields, you know, these battlegrounds, are the bodies buried on the battlegrounds themselves? Or was it one of these deals? Like, like, you know, that whole barn story for the guy that was, that died, that was underneath the pile of bodies. You know, because you hear those stories all the time. You know, what, did, they, did they put them all in one burial pit or did the remains go home or, or how'd that work? Oh, no, that's a really good question and something I ask about everywhere I go. But for the most part, this is kind of how it worked. So when there was a battle, they would leave them where they lay. Uh, there was a famous photographer who would come by and sometimes photograph the images of war in a day or two following the battle. Mm -hmm. Then the men would usually be there and they would dig them some shallow graves on site and they would continue on with their march and their mission. If some of them died in the encampment, or nearby areas and they went on someone's farmland they would try to mark this at the conclusion of the war the union comes through um, and they come claim all of their dead from the battlefields they they disinter them from the battlefield they create national cemeteries so when you see the national cemeteries with all the little white stones right. a lot of that started during the civil war when the union uh, went to go get their guys the southerners of course were not returned because they were seen as the rebels and the enemy. They weren't part of the federal government, right? Um, so they were kind of there. Um, and the women of the South uh, were horrified by this. So they raised a bunch of money. Uh, all these ladies did. They went door to door, got a bunch of money. And they themselves went across these battlefields and um, got their Southern men and brought them back home. And they created uh, Confederate cemeteries. And then those ladies uh, called that um, the dedication day when they dedicated these cemeteries. Uh, and the day was usually in the spring around the time Stonewall Jackson was shot. And the union thought, well, that's really nice of you to honor your dead that way. And then they created Memorial Day, which we still celebrate today. That being said, not everyone was recovered. All these battlefields still have uh, bodies that maybe weren't found, uh, maybe that were dismembered. A lot of limb pits you'll find are still there because amputations would happen on site. So there's a lot of pits um, that would remain under your feet with arms and legs in them, uh, things of that nature. There would be hospitals that would sort of erupt uh, like at these houses nearby, people who died there. There would be bodies on those properties, not 
it wasn't like an all-inclusive, we got everybody, right, on both sides. They tried uh, to do the best that they could. You'll also see in a lot of these towns, if they weren't brought home, cemeteries were just given a plot for Civil War veterans or Civil War bodies, and they are either vacant or they're stones with no names. There are thousands of those uh, in unknown graves. So it's really not all inclusive. Some of them could still be out there. Of course, there's stories of that happening, um, but they did try. They tried their best. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, do you... Uh qualify yourself as being sensitive or are you or are you a bunker or I do. I do. I, I do qualify myself as that. I'm just always careful with it because um, in the history realm, some of the old timers who are just pure historians, they don't like that. You know, they like their facts. And I totally get that. But I think it is so intriguing when I get feelings or encounters or hear voices or, you know, hear someone talking to me. And then I later find out that the facts corroborate what that sensitivity is that just you know that always gives me chills so I do that I do that mostly with my husband and there's a good friend of mine and we'll go out and do you know my psychic sweep sort of and then I'll go more in depth with the research but you know I want to I want the research to hopefully back up what I am sensing when I go through well, like you say, your husband doesn't see the stuff. So is, is he like a debunker for, for you guys? You know, to say, hey, Oh my no. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So when I heard those drums, he was like, he was such a pain in my butt about it. So he was like, well, there could be this happening over here. or The sound could be coming right. through the trees. So he gets in the car and he starts driving around to all these areas to see, are there reenactors? Is there an event? Are there people leaving this area of the battlefield? Where could the sound be coming from? Was someone playing music? Like he, he will go do this because he very much wants it to be true, but he's going to, you know, go through the due diligence. We're not just going to call it a ghost. And, you know, when there's not any proof that it is. Absolutely. Um, you know, when you visit these areas, cause there's so many uh, ghost stories out there, like the gal that was, you know, taking the reenactors back to their hotel, drops them all off, looks at her rearview mirror, and realizes there's, there's there's four there's four guys back there. Yeah, you know, there's so many yeah. of these stories. That, uh, is it hard for you to get stories out of people? As yes. far as like, your stuff. It depends. It's actually very regional, I have found, in people's openness to uh, discussing spirit encounters. Uh, so when I started doing my research here in Connecticut for my ghost tours and for my books, I don't know if it's this old Puritan a little bit snooty British like genealogy that pumps in. But a lot of people were like, no ghosts. We don't talk about that. No, no. Everyone knows New England's haunted, but we don't talk about it. I don't have ghosts. They're very closed off. Uh, when I was researching in Georgia, everybody had stories. <laughs> um, even if they weren't supposed to have stories, if they were supposed to work at a certain place and not have stories, they had stories. Um, and there was a lot more like, sit around the fireside or tell stories at night and honor legends. And it seemed to be a little more immersed in the culture there. So it really depends where you are. Now with the civil war, it's a blend. A lot of the descendants have what they believe to be encounters with their ancestors, which are some really great stories. Uh, a lot of reenactors who truly love history, they have really great stories. Uh, but then some folks, they get worried, like, are you exploiting the dead who sacrificed themselves in war uh, when you go out and do this? So as a paranormal investigator and a historian, you have to be really careful to not exploit them and to make sure that whatever you're doing in these situations is to honor history uh, and not diminish it and, and not make claims that would, you know, diminish the real history in any way. I can see that as a journalist, I can see that, you know, um, you get in there, you, you, you want to write and honor the person, whoever, yes. whoever, whoever you're writing about to honor because they gave up their life to do this and they're, they're still out there, you know, in their afterlife giving up their mm -hmm. life to do this in their mind. So uh, I can understand that. What's one yeah. of the uh, place, places and things that has happened to you that, that sticks in your mind? Because I know we talked about the, the, you know, the, the one by the car. Are, are there any others? Yeah, you know, I <laughs> I 
have so many encounters that I think are just really, you know, unique. Um, another one that came about is um, in Lexington, Virginia area and down by Chancellorsville. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know if this is like taboo to say, but I researched both sides of the war. Ulysses S. Grant is behind me, so I feel confident saying it, but um, I was researching my dad's favorite general. I remember my dad's from Georgia and his favorite general is Stonewall Jackson. Um, so Stonewall Jackson has a museum in his old home. There's a whole, like a house where he died. There's a rock where he's shot. There's a grave for his arm. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that sort of are about Stonewall Jackson's time during the war and the things that happened to him at his death. Naturally, paranormal person, I'm going to go to all those spots, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went to his house, I did all the things, and I could not find this man's blessed tombstone for his amputated arm. I was looking everywhere for it. And then, um, you know, my husband and I, got to like the the park area and it was just at sunset and the park's supposed to close and I'm like I'm sure it's right beyond the gate no it's like a mile walk in right but we're walking anyway the sun is setting I finally find the grave for his arm I take a few selfies with it try to take a few EVPs see if he's with his arm and wants to talk and um you know then it's getting dark my husband's like we're gonna get in trouble like I'm not gonna get arrested because you want to talk to this guy's arm like we're going back to the car and uh I said well I'll be there in a minute and so he left and I gather all my things a few minutes later and I don't see my husband and then I hear out of this cornfield this terrible rustling sound and and all of this and I thought oh my word, it's either a bear or the ghost of Stonewall Jackson, you know, come to get me. And um, my husband runs out of the corn and scares the crap out of me and starts laughing. Oh, I was so upset, right? But then we go and take a different tour of Stonewall Jackson's house the next day. And the host says to us, do you guys ever play pranks on each other? And um, we thought that that was a really strange question for the tour guide to ask. And I said, well, funny, you mentioned it. My husband just did this, you know, and he thought he was so funny in the cornfield. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, Stonewall Jackson used to hide behind the doors in his home and jump out at his wife and scare her. And my husband goes, it was him. He made me do it. You know, I never do stuff like that. So we laughed and we went to the house where he was, um, where he died. And we did that after two. And, you know, while we were at the house where he died, uh, I heard all this, these gunshots. Um you know, because it's near the battlefield. But oh. I heard, I thought we were near a shooting range. <laughs> like, I thought people were just, you know, on the other side of the tree line at a shooting range or practicing at home or whatever the case is. And I said, wow, some people are really, you know, going at it tonight. Like, they're really into it. And my husband goes, what do you mean? I said, the guns. And he's like, there are no guns. I'm like, no, they're, they're, they're still going. And he's like, there are no guns. And while we were standing there, he thought it was quiet and he only heard trains and I heard gunfire the whole time. And of course, that's how wow. Stonewall Jackson died was he was uh, shot. So yeah. Wow. That's incredible. How yeah. long does it take you to write a book? It takes a bit. Um, the research end usually takes me like about a year and a half to two years for a book. Uh, and then it'll take me a solid year to really compile it together. Uh, Georgia, um, I see your pictures. Yeah, Georgia I just had volume two come out. I actually wrote Georgia as one giant book, uh, but it was so big, uh, we had to split it into two volumes because there's mm -hmm. that much information. So it takes me a, a little bit of time. <laughs> Where do you do your research? So everywhere you can imagine. I love to go to historical societies and chat up the people there. I love to go to libraries and go into the history rooms, as they call them, and go through all of the genuine old books, the first encounters, any diaries. I love going through old newspapers. That's my favorite thing. Uh, the newspapers that were reporting the events at the time, that reported what people were feeling at the time. Uh, they would report accounts of veterans getting together. The veterans could submit their things. Uh, there would usually be regimental books as well. Um, and then what I do for the Civil War is I go join these civil war forums online and they're kind of old like AOL style right but all the old timers are in there that know all the stuff they know 
everything, right? They've dedicated their life to this. They've inherited all this. And if you go in there and you talk to some of those folks about about the stories and the information, oh, they have it. A lot of them are still living in these old homes. Um, so I just mix all of that together. I go interview park rangers when I go. I'm like, tell me what's happening here and compile it together into the book. Fantastic. I'm really impressed. You know, with your books, I've read a couple of them. And I'm oh, really thank you. I'm really impressed. <laughs> thank you. I'd say a lot of time, and I know, you know, I think the biggest complaint about my books, um, you know, we I just switched publishers, so we're working on the editing process. We didn't realize we didn't have an editor in house, so we're working on that. But the other, but the other thing I would change about my books, um, you know, I wouldn't actually. I lie. I would not change it. I think some people would change it. Uh, is they they think it's a bit history dense versus paranormal uh, because we're kind of used to the paranormal books being a little bit shorter and more succinct. But I really feel strongly that history is imperative to understanding the legends and lore and stories. And I also, you know, feel strongly that to not put that in there would not do their souls justice. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Where do you think, you know, because when we talked about Gettysburg, we talked about some of these other places. What do you think is what is one of the most active fields? Oh my gosh, they're all active. Gettysburg is, but I think it also just became known for it. I think Antietam is heavily overlooked. I think the bloody lane at Antietam is one of the most haunted places that there is. Mm -hmm. I think Chickamauga at Vineyard Field uh, and Snodgrass Hill uh, has constant activity. Um, I was sitting in Chickamauga um, just this past October, I had been doing some book talks down there. And what do I do in my free time? Go sit and talk to dead people, right? Mm -hmm. So I was sitting against this old cannon monument and it was sunset and I knew I was going to have to leave soon. And I just saw this spark of fire as if someone was firing a cannon go across the air and I looked up and the only thing looking at me were a bunch of deer and as if they were like soldiers spirit animals and it was just me and them and we watched this silent sort of fireball go through the sky and you know that to me just shows the power of Chickamauga and what's there as well uh, so that's one that I think people should really look at and uh, honestly, the other really haunted one is the wilderness. What remains of it? A lot of it has been developed, but the parts that have been protected, um, you can truly feel fear in there. It's not a battlefield where people could march at each other because it was all tree coverage and there were fires taking place. And when you're in there, you can feel a lot of fear um, and sort of panic and everything that happens. So I would say those ones would be top of my list. Are you able to go in after dark on any of these? Because I know a lot of those places shut down. They do. So um, I was very privileged, like I said, to decide to take my impromptu road trip during COVID and do a lot of these uh, things at night when you when you can. Um, right now, the national parks and state parks are generally closed at sunset. Uh, there's a few that will like let you in, like New Hope Church is kind of in a public area. I got to do that at night and the police officer was like, do what you want, you know. So it kind of depends on where you are um, and who you're talking to um, and if you can arrange it. But it really is about the protection of the battlefield. So I understand and they don't want people coming in there for the reasons they shouldn't. Have there been times that I have maybe snuck in at night via foot? Um, I'll sometimes have my husband drop me off and I'll just sneak in there for a little bit. But then I end up feeling as if it's their time and it's not my right to be there. So I don't stay long. That's my next question. The investigating and visiting these these different battlefields are the nights more active than the days. No. Okay. 
Mm -mm. No, I think, you know, our, I've often felt this, our minds deceive us into thinking the night is more active because our senses are changed and we're more aware of sounds uh, and that we're not aware of during the day. We're more aware of things being different. We're a little more nervous. We have that sort of, you know, animalistic instinct to protect ourselves at night from the predators. We're more vulnerable, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but for battles, really you know, I try to motivate myself to get up early um, because a lot of these battles were taking place early in the morning. I find that if you can go to these places at the times um, that the engagements were happening is when you'll have more experiences. Uh, so if you're going to go look up you know, what time was the engagement on the cornfield at Antietam? What time was the height of the bloody lane, right? And when you do that, try to visit during those times and you'll feel a heavy energy then. I'm thinking about the reenactors now because, I mean, they're dressed like these guys. They're out there with guns. You know, they're redoing it. Have you talked to any reenactors to see if they've had any, any experiences? Yeah, I love reenactors. I I love them. They're the best. And I love talking with them at all the events. A lot of them are also like relic hunters and they're just they're just the coolest people. Um, they help me hold guns correctly when I'm posing incorrectly. They're like, no, that's not how you hold a musket. Uh, here, do you want to hold this bullet? You know, like they're just the coolest people. Uh, that being said, um, with reenactors, a lot of them have really incredible stories. And just like you're thinking, they're dressed at the time of the time. They're at the places that are significant. I think even they have limited permissions now than what they used to. But one of my favorite stories from um, Chickamauga was that these group of reenactors, they were there for a living history event. And um, they met these other folks that were kind of across the field from them that were also reenactors. And they had, you know, a nice chat in the evening before they went to bed. And they had some drinks together, but nothing too much. Much and they just were like having fun talking about history. And then the next morning, the guys woke up and they went to go have coffee with their new friends. And their friends weren't at the camp across the way. So they, of course, went to the visitor center and asked where that regiment had been moved. And they said there was no other regiment out there <laughs> last night. So, you know, just really cool stuff like that. I love. That is really cool. And the stuff that I've read, like like even on Gettysburg, you know, the stuff that goes on, like like you say, you're out walking around at night, you know, and people see stuff like through the windows and they'll see stuff from the past. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I think time leaves imprints. And I think at these places, if you know we're lucky, that this is our best chance at getting to see an imprint of a time long past. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you're out walking around, is it just you, no equipment, or do you take stuff with you? It depends really on my mood. <laughs> um, so there, there's times, like, it's always in the car, right? I'll always have my kit in the car, which is like a K2, a spirit box, a, you know, just an audio recorder, a REM pod, a Boo Buddy, things like that. They go with me everywhere, but they don't come out everywhere. Sometimes uh -huh. I may just take a pendulum to see if that will tell me anything about the energy. Uh, sometimes I might just take my phone and say, listen, if something interesting happens, I'll put on my voice memos and I'll snap a photo. Um, but it's really like what I'm feeling. Do I feel like I need to go out there and get evidence? Do I feel like I need to go out there and listen? Uh, do I feel like I just need to be there and experience it so that I can write to it? It really depends on my mood and what I'm feeling, you know, coming from the spirit world. Do they want to do this right now or do they just want to be? Mm -hmm. What about trigger items? Because I would think stuff from the Civil War, like like maybe, maybe little one-shot muskets or something, you know, or whatever they were using. Would yeah. be interesting to take or a belt buckle or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... You know, I've definitely tried little things like that, but so much of it is out there on the battlefields that I don't know that they care about what I bring. I've tried dressing up my husband as a soldier, no luck, although reenactors by themselves sometimes serve as trigger objects, I guess you would say. What 
has been the biggest trigger for me. And maybe this is something because it's powerful to me in my personal life, but um, music, what I'll do usually is play music um, of the time. Uh, so I'll play like a waltz or I'll play, you know, Dixie or I'll play, you know, different songs that maybe would get either one side a little riled up or the other side feeling patriotic. And then usually I will get more activity or sounds when I do that. So music is something I've done at a few different places, uh, all the way from burial spots to battlefields, just to see uh, if it brings them about. Can you give people an idea? I mean, I'm not saying that these battlefields have average sizes or anything, but when, you know, when you see pictures of Gettysburg, it looks so huge. You know, the it's, tw it's 29 square miles um, that is protected at present that is there. Uh, so it would have even expanded beyond that. You cannot, well, you can, I guess if you're really athletic, which I'm not, but you can't really walk the whole thing. There are driving tours. There are plenty of tours you can do that will walk you through the three days of Gettysburg. Antietam is a bit smaller because it was a one-day battle, um, but there's still areas like the Rohrbach Bridge, uh, now known as Burnside Bridge, that is definitely driving distance from the rest of the battlefield. Um, so they are huge. Like This isn't just one field that people walked across and you're there for five minutes. These are huge landscapes. You're learning about the marching moves, the flanking maneuvers, where they stood for how many days, when they repulsed this group to the other group, how many thousands were here. I mean, it's really hard to wrap your mind around unless you're there. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And when you talk about the flanking moves, how do you find out about that? Do you get a guide to go out with you to tell you about this stuff? Or yeah, yeah. So it's it's. It's in the books. I'm a very visual person, so I like maps, and I like my husband to show me on the map, this is where this side, see, this is why it looks like this. It's very helpful for me to have visual aids. And for me, if I can, especially at Gettysburg, if you get up to Little Round Top, Chickamauga, if you get up to Snodgrass Hill, there are certain places that you can stand, and you can almost look out, and you can see exactly why they're making these flanking maneuvers, if you can get close as possible to, like, an aerial view and it will show you you know this is why this line is here this line is here this is where they're pushing left this is where they're pushing right uh this is you know especially pickets charge this is why they go for the middle and then you can see you can stand on either side and look across and go oh my gosh if it was bad weather if it was this you can't really see who's up here uh so it's really interesting but you can learn about it when you're there they have lots of markers that tell you that. You have licensed battlefield guides that can tell you that. A lot of them do free YouTube things. There's great PBS documentaries if you're a total nerd like me. Or you can bring someone who knows these things. But it ultimately will help you visualize the whole experience and understand the gravity of it. Now, as a sensitive being out there, when you step out of your car in these areas, do you feel it right away? It depends. Um, sometimes I really do. Like, I always know when we're getting close. So, you know, from the very first time that I visited these battlefields, I get this feeling in my bones and in my whole body. I'm like, I'm getting close to the boys. I call them. They're close, you know, because there's just so many of them. Um, and it's like I can feel them. I can hear, you know, a, a dull roar, a sense of talking. Um, but if I'm on the battlefield, there's days where, like, I go to spots where I know I've had experiences or I know something big has happened, uh, like Iverson or anything. And sometimes I get out and I'm like, oh, they're not here right now or I don't feel it right now, but like, I'm glad I came anyway. And then there's other times where I'm like, oh, it's really heavy here. So again, does it match with the times of battle, the times of year? Right where they are at the moment. Maybe they don't want to hang around there all the time. I wouldn't either. You know, like it, it all differs, but there's times where you feel it. And then there's times where you're like, Oh, they must not be around right now. <laughs> Which leads me to another question. There's so many out there. Do they pick and choose to talk to you or are you able to pick and choose who you want to talk to? I will always do my best to 
try and get in touch with people that maybe I need to write about, but I will not force it. I mostly choose who I write about based on who comes to me. Um, you know, for both Connecticut and Georgia, there were soldiers that I had spiritual, either I dreamed or an encounter, or I saw a shadow standing by their grave. And then I really deep dove into who they were because I felt like they picked me. And a lot of them were privates, you know, they weren't officers and they were stories that maybe would have been forgotten. And I try to, if they took the time to make themselves known to me, make sure I do everything possible to ensure their memory. Uh, so it's a bit of both. Some of them like that pick me. Other times, if I need to write about someone, you know, really famous, like James Longstreet, who's on the cover of my Georgia book. I didn't, I didn't encounter him, you know, for the longest time. I got a bunch of stories about him though. And I looked for him and I, and I kept looking for him, but there were other soldiers that just were like, no, I want to talk to her, <laughs> you know? So it really just depends. Now, do you tell them that you're writing a book? That, 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 that mm -hmm. I do. I do. Um, so I say to them, I'm like, listen, my name's Courtney. I'm writing your story so people can remember you. Um, I know it's strange to have a lady write your story, but I promise I want to do justice. If you can give me the time to talk to me, um, you know, or if I really feel like maybe that's too much for them, maybe they don't even know how deceased they are, the time it is. I'll say, I'm here to help you. What can you tell me that will help me help you? Um, you know, which is, you know, basically my hope is like ensuring their memory will bring them some peace. Um, so I will tell them that, you know, and hopes that some of them do hear it and respond. Interesting. And do you get names from them at all? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, but usually I get like hints. Um, it's like, you know, we're buried here. Uh, we died here. And I'm like, okay. So I'm trying to find out like the, the ones that I wrote about, you know, who inspired me to do this, these two right. brothers appeared in my dream and they said they were brothers and they died near the same time and they were buried near me. And that wasn't much to go off of, but I found brothers that were buried near me that died in the, near the same time, uh, just with like going to the historical society, looking up civil war soldiers, cemeteries near me. Um, so if they can give me just that, I'll, I'll go to town with it, you know? So, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Now let me ask you something else along that line. When you do ask them to, you know, if they want to help you out, you know, with this book and give you information, are they really enthusiastic? I mean, it's ghosts. They're dead, of course. But are they really enthusiastic about it? Or do you have someone <laughs> that they're like, I don't know? Oh, I think some of them are definitely like, I don't know, you know? Um, there's definitely ones that I think were more in life, a bit more gregarious and outgoing, and they liked attention. So sometimes they'll come about, like there was this one guy from Georgia and, you know, God love him. You know, I wrote about him. He's entertaining. He wrote memoirs that are like very entertaining, a little bit dramatic, you know, and I kept encountering him like in all my books and in all these things. Um, he will say my name. Um, and though I wrote about him, I wasn't going to write only about him, but he likes the attention. So, you know, you just sort of like go with that. You're like, all right, you've got your time to shine. And he's a part of every presentation I do now because he, he likes it. You know, if they don't, I just ensure that people remember that they were loved. Um, and that's the other thing, too, is I think a lot of these people that fought and died, they were young. They didn't expect to die. And so I usually tell people the ghosts, spirits, whatever you want to call them when I'm out there, you're remembered and you're loved. And sometimes that's enough. Absolutely. The reason why I brought that up is because um, I, I used to film a, a public access TV show called California Haunts back in the old days. And we did the Brookdale Lodge one time. And that was a lot of uh, gamblers, a lot, a lot of mob people in there. You know, because it was the whole thing with, with the booze where they couldn't get their booze. So yeah. as we started to, the psychic, as the psychic started to do her little interviews on, on camera, a lot of them refused because they were cheating on their wives. Oh, no. And they told her that. They said, no, I, no, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm, you know, I have my mistress here. 
I'm not going to be on camera and talk to you. That's funny. Yeah, they know. They're like, mm -mm, you're not going to incriminate me even in death. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I, love, it. I love it. I love it. A question about, you know, how they were when you talked to them to get to see you know, what they were Yeah. Doing. You know, I, and I think, I think too is a lot of them are looking to see if they know who I am. Uh, especially if there isn't like a sense of time, who are you? Why are you here? What side are you on? Um, you know, that sort of thing definitely comes about during battles. So if, um, so I always say my dad hails from Georgia. Um, I know I don't sound like it. He married a Yankee, you know, like I'll, you know, I'll lean into it. Uh, they don't always like my husband's very Northern blooded. Uh, so sometimes the rebel spirits won't talk to me when he's there and I just mm -hmm. tell him to go away. Uh, and then they'll talk to me. So they are always assessing who I am. If I'm going to get them in trouble, if I'm on their side, do I know anyone they know? Um, it's in a time of war that doesn't surprise me. Um, mm -hmm. am I a nurse? Like, why am I out there as a lady? You know, there's questions. And so I, I get that. Yeah, I just find that so interesting. And, you know, like you say, one of the things that I didn't realize with, with, with certain ghosts, too, is that, like you say, this one in particular likes to talk to you. He's a talker. And <laughs> Just because he really know. likes his, to talk about himself, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 but it's funny how you can go from, like, like in, in this case, the Wilden Opera House here, there's a particular opera singer, Polish, that actually is in different theaters. And when I was, and when I was in a different theater investigating, I guess she knew I was there because she asked for me. Oh, and I didn't think that was, you know what I mean? It was something that, cause yeah. I, was, I was so new at this. I didn't think that was possible, but I was really impressed by the fact that the psychic says, Hey, this gal's asking for you. I love when that happens. I love when we're out there investigating and they're like, Courtney, um, you know, sometimes I host public investigations and right. some of them pop by and everyone's like, how does that ghost know your name? And I'm like, well, we, we go back, but just, it's fine. Um, but I really try to take the time to introduce myself, what I do, how it works, how I'm here for them. Right. Um, and I tell folks that are investigators, keep it conversational. Don't make demands. Don't tell them to do things for you. Don't ask them the future. Keep it conversational and keep it polite. Um, try to speak to them politely. Don't just call them by their first name, Mr. or Mrs. or whatever time period you're with. Give them some respect and you will get more responses you always catch more flies with honey uh and and that's really try how i try to go about it so what's next for you yes yeah, so what's next the civil war journey shall continue um i'm going to now you know continue to promote volume two for georgia i'm going to be doing mm -hmm. some events down there opening up tours in georgia to honor that and then i would like to write about a split state like maryland for my next book and talk mm -hmm. about how um states that were in the middle were sort of ravaged like you said by this you know brother's uh, right, right, fighting right. against each other. I am still, of course, operating my tours in Mystic and Rhode Island, even though we'll be operating in Georgia as well. And in 2025, I will be doing another rebellion tour, but this one in Ireland. Um, and we'll be talking about the Easter Rising of 1916 and all the haunted spots with that. Uh, so lots of exciting things. Yeah, a lot going on. How can people yes. find you? How can people so, Sure. They can find me directly on my website, CourtneyMackinville.com. Uh, they can also find information about the tours at SeasideShadows.com. Uh, and you can find us uh, with both links on Facebook, Instagram, and the like. Uh, and we try to update everything as often as possible. Fantastic. And one more question is, you, you've got your Civil War books, and uh, you're on the strip in Las Vegas. <laughs> and there's some other people around with, with Civil War books, you know, like the similar topics. How do you get people to read yours? I, mine's the stories of the humans. That's what I tell them. Mine's the stories of the people. Uh, it's not about one haunted building or one haunted place. If you want the stories of the people from them and about them and how we feel them, then you'll want to read mine. Absolutely. Courtney, thank you so much for coming on. 
Uh, oh, thank you for having I me. So much. This stuff just fascinates me. I'm uh, so glad. Doing, doing this for 18 years, the Civil War areas just absolutely intrigued me. Oh, yeah. thank you for having me. It was so much fun to chat with you. Love to get you back on again. Yes, anytime, anytime. Have a great night. All right, you too. Thank bye. you so much. Bye bye. No problem. Bye. Okay, guys, I learned so much. That was so fun. So, so fun. Tomorrow, mark it on your calendar. We will be live at noon Pacific. Mark Ollie is our guest. He's over in the United Kingdom, and that's why we're going live at noon. And we're going to be talking about Europe's Roswell. So if you're into that, it's great stuff. This is a story that happened in the 70s. And believe me, well, no, I don't think so. I think it might have 90s. I forget. I have to double check. I'm having one of those moments. Senior moment. But anyway, he's going to be with us to talk about Europe's Roswell. So uh, be in tune for that. Okay, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hear the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are definitely equal opportunity here at California Hunts Radio. We're just trying to get the word out about our, about our little old show. And it seems to it seems like it's starting to work. So all your hard work doing this for me has worked out. So let's just keep that up. And I will see you guys tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And don't forget, uh, February 4th, Nancy Matz is going to be doing Valentine's readings for people. Uh, the readings are, are up to 10 minutes. And um, you can ask her anything about relationships, whether you know, you're know you looking at the future, you're looking at a past relationship, maybe you want to get back together with somebody, et cetera, et cetera. Nancy's going to do that for you on the 4th at 4 p.m. Pacific. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and end this, and I want you all to have a great evening. I will see you tomorrow at noon Pacific. Have a great one.